Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 27. For just as the body is one, and has many members, and all the members of the body, through many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty." which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Okay, we are starting a new series today, and uh, we have had a few important series this year. One we called the Sinner's Dinner Party, and we're really casting a vision of what our church is going to look like, is that, that it is a gathering of sinners intending to eat and meet together to introduce other sinners to Jesus. And then I took us through a series called Jesus the Servant King. And I'll, we have a Lord and a Savior who comes to serve and serve us with life, a broken people. And now the next series I want to call into is I'm calling us to follow our servant king and then to move into a series that I'm calling Edify. And Edify is a, it's a bit of an older word, but I think it's an important word. And it really just means to build up. I'm calling us to be a people that will build up. And today I've, um, I've entitled the message, The Organic Living Church. What is the church? What are you, if you are a member of the church, you believe in the Lord? And what does it mean to be, well, of life, of organic? To start this, I'm going to, I'm going to, t- I'm going to do this in three parts. I'm going to call it the organic versus the mechanical. Here, I'll get to my notes here. Now, part two, part one, the organic versus the mechanical. Part two, the meaning of edify. The meaning of edify. I know I just told you it means to build up. I'm going to help you have a little bit of a different picture of how the Bible looks at it. And then part three, what it could look like. Just a picture of what it could look like. 
Now, part one, organic and versus mechanical. Let me just start off this way. Um, our, in our house, in our backyard, we have this apple tree. Any of you have any? Any of you have any fruit trees in your yard, or you know, any? You got one or two of you? What do you got back there? Just let's just have a little interaction. What do you got? Plums and oranges. Did you plant them? No. Okay. Do you do anything to take care of them? <laughs> you pick the fruit. Okay. Uh, anybody else got any like a, a, a fruit trees or anything? Just just curious. All right. And a lemon tree. You got a lemon tree and tomatoes. Now, that tomatoes are a vine. Okay. But that, that's you know same difference. Okay. We have this apple tree in our backyard. We have a lemon tree and apple tree. But I'll talk about the apple tree. We have this apple tree in the backyard. I think my wife tells me that she thinks the previous tenant planted this tree. Right? The owner was like, "Yeah, good. That's fine." Right? And probably the owner was probably glad. Sure, you know, make my property look nicer. We have this apple tree in the in the backyard, and my wife and I we don't water it. <laughs> we don't do anything to it. And um, it is amazing to me. I was out in the backyard yesterday because my wife was out there weeding and she was showing me all the work that she did. And we had this jungle of weeds back there, which, and, um, but now it looks a lot better. And I was looking at this apple tree and this apple tree is an amazing tree. We're in the middle of a drought and this thing just grows and grows and grows. It has these branches um, it has this big branch that just comes out, and, and, it's, and there was a branch. So I don't think this is the same branch it was before, but there was this one branch that I remember looking at last year, and it's this big old branch, and it comes out, and it was just shooting out toward the house. <laughs> and all these apples, there were so many apples growing off this thing, this branch got so heavy, it broke off. And I was like, wow, that's crazy. And, and, and remember, I don't do anything to this tree. We're in a drought, and so there's no rain, or there's barely any rain. If you come to my house, and you look at the, the, the ground, the dirt back there, you will not think that that is beautiful soil. You're going to go, oh, this is great soil. No, you'll think this is like a bunch of just lousy dirt. So somehow this tree, it just shoots out. And I actually, and sometimes, you know, if we knew what to do, we would know where to cut it and trim it. And if you do it the right way, then you'll have more branches and then, you know, you get more apples, okay? And, and we don't even eat these apples, <laughs> okay? My wife picks them and then she gives them away. I don't, I don't even know if they're any good or not. But I actually think that this branch, a branch could shoot out over my, uh, my house get really big, and then the branch will break off and then like cause a problem on my house, and it's near the power lines, it'll break power. This is what I think of when I see this tree. And the reason I'm telling this to you is because you know what this tree is? It's organic. That's what organic is. Organic is life. And you know what you can't, you can't do with organic life? You can't control it. You think that in order for this to happen, you have to weed around it, you have to give it nutrients, you have to take care of it. We do nothing. <laughs> and this life just keeps coming. Actually, there's a lot too much life around our, our house. There's all these weeds. Do you guys have weeds? And so my wife, my wife, you know, she gets in there, she uproots all these weeds, and then, and then we think it's all gone, Right? No, following year, all the little suckers come out all over again. And then, so she's at it all over again. You know what that is? That's organic. That's organic. 
actually, we have um, on the other side of the yard is this. It's just like this uh, a patch of dirt, and it's just all weeds. And but and what I like to do, since since I don't like to deal with them, <laughs> what I do is I just hope you know. Sometimes I mow them so they'll be short, and then the sun will come down, and then hopefully just they'll just make them all die. I'm like, oh, good. <laughs> I'm like, so when I see all the weeds die, I'm like, yes. But so we have this ground right now where it's all weeds and it's all brown and it's all de- dead weeds, which I'm happy about. And the middle of this field is this one plant, which, of course, we did not plant. This one plant, and it's just shooting up like this. It's, it's pretty tall. It's like this tall. And it's just, it's just shot up. And I'm looking at this going, where did you come from? Where did you come from? And... I don't know when the seed got in there. And, I, and this thing grows fast, apparently. This is organic life. And it, it's actually kind of cool. I don't want to cut this one down. Like, it's kind of cool. I, 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 later on, if it grows and then starts like threatening my house with apples, then, then, then we'll uh, have to do something to it. Now, this is organic life. But do you know that most of you, that's not how you think of life. You and I, that's not how we think of life. Most of us, because we live in a highly technological society and a capitalistic society, most of you and I, we treat our lives more like machine. You know that? If you, if you get the seed, it doesn't look like much. In fact, it really, and you, you know, if it goes into the ground, maybe life will come out, maybe it won't. You don't even have to water it. <laughs> maybe life will come out. <laughs> Do you realize that? You don't have to control it. In fact, you can't control it. That's what organic is like. But you can take a very finely tuned piece of machinery like this. Some of the most brilliant, smartest engineers in the world made this thing. Some of you have a love for this thing. You're like, oh, I love this. It actually even feels nice. Okay? But you can take this thing, and I can go up in the backyard and sit it next to that little one shoe coming up, and I could dig a hole and stick this thing in the ground, and what will happen? Nothing. Except this thing will die. <laughs> That's the word we use for it. But by the way, this is never alive. You go, oh, it, your phone will die. Well, that is what will happen. But what does it take for the phone to live and do stuff? You have to push buttons. You, there has to be this thing called a battery in it, and somebody has to be in control, like me, and I have to plug this thing at night, and then you can push the buttons, and then the thing will come alive, and then it'll work, right? But if you shove it into the ground, it, it, then nothing will happen. <laughs> and a year later, I'll forget all about it. Worst case scenario, all the batteries and junk will leak out of it and poison the other life that's around it. That's mechanical organic versus mechanical but do you i don't know if you most of you know this but you and i you we we don't actually know how to think about life as organic some of you and think of food you know what you think of your food as fuel i have a friend who said man you you better take care of yourself that's fuel i said that's not fuel that's food food is not fuel because you are not a machine. <laughs> you understand that? But it gets worse than this. This is how we think of our life. And we think that if I'm in control and if I push all the right buttons and flip all the switches, then my life will run well. Because you think of your life almost like a machine. There are people 
who all, every you, throughout your life, you, you work, most of you work around in many multiple different corporations. And if you don't work within a corporation, you're, you're consuming the products of the corporation, whether it's McDonald's or In-N-Out or, or Apple. Okay? But do you know that the corporations, corporations do not treat you like organic life. They don't treat you like life. They treat you like a machine. That's what layoffs are. <laughs> layoffs are these XYZ parts are getting too expensive. Let's cut them out. And then later, we'll get new widgets. That's, that's what American life is like. You know what the education system is? The education system is a factory. So you aren't uh, an organic person with life. You're a widget. Did you know that? That's what the education system looks like. You, we're not putting character into you at the schools. We're not putting life into you. We're not offering here to give you hope. That's not what the schools are doing. If they try to do that, they'll go, oh, that's religious. Stop doing that. That's actually against the law. You know what they're supposed to do? You go into a class. You have to have algebra. So the teacher goes, and the algebra goes into your widget. And then you go to the next class, and then the teacher goes, and you get grammar. And then we do it at another higher level because we have to make more sophisticated machines. We call that college. That's the way America works. That's the way we begin to treat each other. It gets even more interesting. People think church should run like a machine. And if the person up front is in control, he can flip all the right switches, and then this machine will just take off, right? Let me just tell you something. I am not in control. I'm in control of you about as much as I'm in control of that tree in the back, which is growing like branches to my house that I don't even want. <laughs> and that's, that's, that's the church. It says here in the Bible, For as the body is one and has many members, all the members of the body, though many, are one body. You get it? It is a one body. So it is with Christ, for in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. I want you to hear organic. You're one body. When you see the church, it's an organic life. It's something more like the apple tree. You can't control it. It's unpredictable. Life just comes out of it. You know, we, we even want to treat each other. We have our friendships, our parents. We try to parent like we can flip switches. So give, give the child the carrot, do your homework, and I'll let you play video games. That's the carrot. But if you don't, I'll give you a whooping. That's the stick. <laughs> right? Some of you literally use a stick. Or maybe it's more like this. Uh, you know, no video games for you this weekend if you don't do the homework. And so, you know what we're doing there? We're flipping switches. But if our children really were more like a machine, then we could flip switches and make them do what we want. If my son was really like more like a machine, you know what he would do every afternoon? He would throw fastballs in the backyard. <laughs> He would not only watch baseball, he would love baseball. I wish there was a switch on him and go, pluck, and he would just love baseball. <laughs> he would follow baseball, he would read the baseball stats, he would learn the baseball history, and then he would swing the bat 200 times a day and throw you know, 200 fastballs and then grow, grow up to be a Hall of Famer. 
But he, that's not, he's not an iPhone. <laughs> so you know what he does? So I never told him to do this. He's like the, he's like the tree in the backyard. He is, he, so this morning I got up. You know what he was doing? So one, he wakes up earlier than I do, even though I wake up early on Sundays. He's lying on the futon, reading a book, the kind of books I don't like. <laughs> it's not, there's nothing bad about the book. It's kind of a science fantasy adventure book. He likes these adventure. It's a thick book. I never told him to read it. I didn't say reading is good for you. He's into it. He chooses it. This is what he does. You know what that is? It's life. It's organic. It comes out of him. It's like that apple tree. He's like, oh. So, so then I go, what's, what's that book about? So then he starts to tell me. Blah, 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 this character, and it's about this adventure. And after about the third sentence, I'm like, okay, I, I don't really care. <laughs> it's, it's, and you know what's coming out of his mouth? It's like that, the branch of the apple tree is coming out of his mouth. Life is coming out of him. <laughs> it's organic. Life is coming out of this boy. Not the one I necessarily want, but that's it. Because you can't control him. And what I want to tell you is, if you believe in the Lord... Well, first of all, if you're just a person, there's something real life coming out of you. And if you believe in the Lord, you are now been baptized into a body. So, so all those of you who believe in Jesus, you remember your baptism? I hope you remember your baptism. So it just looked like it was a ritual, but actually you were grafted into a living thing. Organic life. This, this ain't some kind of widget. This is not a corporation. It's not a widget. We can't flip switches. I wish it was that nice. I'll flip a bunch of switches, and you'll all just love Jesus. <laughs> this is not how it works. And so, actually, you are a member of a body. So that's just the first part I'll say. It's organic. And I'm going to go to now part two, the meaning of edify. I'm going to get at this. What does it mean to Edify. Now, literally, what it means to edify is to build up. The older translations of the Bible would get to these passages, you know, da 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 da. This is what we do: building one another up, build up. So, I'm, I, I think edify sounds a weird sounding churchy kind of word, but and normally I, I I don't tend to use the churchy kind of words, but I think that's such a good word because our culture doesn't understand edify, but it's very important because we think we can flip switches. Edifying is exactly the opposite of swiveling switches. So here, let me try to give you a little picture of this. So we're an organic. It's organic. The church is something more like a body. So what's this? This is one member of the body. It's a finger, right? So this finger, if it's going to have life, what needs to happen? Guess what? The palm needs to work. The blood vessels needs to do their job. The heart has to pump. The lungs have to breathe. You know, if the lungs just stop breathing for a little while, things, things will start to die. Not very long. But let's just say this, this finger stops being built up by the rest of the body. It's one member of the body. Just one member of the body. The palm goes, you know what, I'm going to stop serving you and building you up, finger. You know what's going to happen? This thing is going to get really ugly. It's going to start having a really weird color. It'll start getting really sick. And then when I go to pick something up, it won't do it. It'll just, like, hey, (laughs) what the heck's going on here? 
And, and, and it looks so bad that you know what I'll probably have to do? We'll have to cut it off. Because if it gets sick enough, it'll start poisoning the, the hand and the wrist, and then we'll have to cut off the whole arm. But this is just one member of the body. If this one member stops being edified, stops being built up, if one member of the body stops being built up, then, then you know what will happen? Well, just as a pastor, we'll have to cut the finger off, and then as a pastor, since you know, most guys have to raise their hand, they move their hands. I mean, what pastor are you know, just you know, talk like this? You'd probably stop going to that church. <laughs> Like, that guy's so boring, he doesn't even move his hands. But I'll move my hands, and you'll go, oh, that's freaky, he only has nine fingers. And then, and, and that, then I'll just be less effective as a pastor. <laughs> that's not weird. Lose one finger, and the pastor's not as good a pastor. That's, that's a weird idea, right? How about this? I will, it'll be hard to write. I'll be impaired. Typing. Um, I won't be able to pick my nose as well. <laughs> Come on, you guys all do it too. <laughs> How else does it get clean up there, right? Um, some of you may choose a different finger, but that's the finger I like, right? This is the finger I like. But, but notice this too. This finger, it must be built up. This, this one member needs the other members of the body or it'll die. This one member needs all the other members to do their part, to fill it with life. That's what's happening. You see it? And that's the meaning of edify. Edify is build up, but really what you're doing is give life. Okay? When you go to when you go into your community, when you go into your work life, hey, I manage this person. <laughs> Nobody tells you to give that person life. They're just like, just make that person do their work, and if they don't, let's fire them. Right, uh, or, or just motivate them a little bit, and you know, if they get depressed, then we'll break down. Then maybe we'll get them to some counseling. But that's the purpose: is so not to give them life, is so that they can get back here and be a widget again. Huh? That's the way our culture works. And a lot of times, if you want to control and get them to do, you know, this is it's our society is very much about how all these other people can be used, kind of like parts, to make my machinery of the thing I want to do work. We really think we're like the central CPU and all these other people are bit players to fill me and make my system work. But actually, that's not the the way the Bible looks at life at all. There's something in us that's supposed to go out. There's something in us that comes out of us and it's life. It bears fruit. And the fruits are things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness, self-control. There's hope and justice and mercy and grace. And this goes out. Edify, when it says to build up, it's to give life. That's really what you're doing. To pour forth what is in you into the other members for life. And then this body starts to build up and something beautiful starts to happen that nobody can control. That's the church. That's the meaning of edify. And the reason we, don't, we often don't believe this is because the, the church, we look at it, through the lens of the world. We look at it as an organization, like, like a corporation. But actually, the church is the body of Jesus. And most of us, actually, we're all just prodding because we're like these lifeless machines. We think, let's just prod each other. And you get bored. So let's go out to eat. 
Let's go watch a great movie. Let's, watch, let's, get, let's listen to some music. Let's, let's have some pleasures. Let's have some fun. And then all you're just doing is trying to feed the machine to keep giving it life. But actually, we're meant from our, far more than that. We treat ourselves like machines and each other like machines. But actually, God, who is the Father, sent God. So God sent God, the Son, to take all this lack of faith and disobedience and the way we're breaking each other by treating each other like machines. And he died for that. And then he, God the Father sent God the Son and God the Son gave life. He edified us. He built us up. And you know how he did it? He poured forth his spirit. And that's what it says here. You are part of a body. And whatever, whatever race you are, Jew or Greek, whatever status you are, slave or free, rich or poor, we come to drink of the Spirit whom God the Son came to give us, to give us life, so we can be the organic life can come out of us. And that's the gospel. Not because we deserve it. In fact, we don't deserve it. And that's what Jesus has done for us. As I begin this series, I, I want to call upon the church. We're, we're, we're in a, a, a really cool season of our church. The Lord is bringing up faith. And there's a, a number of you. I can see, there, we weren't even asking for some of you to build up. And you're starting to do it. You know why you're doing it? Because there's life in you. The organic life of the Spirit. And you're stepping forward and saying, I want to do this. Hey, pastor, can I do this? I'm boy, okay. You need some help? It's like that apple tree just coming out. And shoot. So that's what's happening in our church. And as we go through this series, I want to feed this. I want to call forth for you to edify to pour forth life into one another. And as you do so, you will receive and be given life. And something beautiful will happen here that can only come from God. Now I want to close this message about what it can look like, part three. And I just wanted to share a testimony with you, one that I find particularly compelling. Occasionally, maybe those of you taking membership class, you may have heard me reference this story. And uh, so I printed this this uh, st- testimony, and I wanted to share with you. And this is just one, it's a particularly spectacular example of edifying. Hmm? Something that we did, and you saw the church just begin to sprout life from God and to save those who are dying because they are acting like machines, okay? Um, it's a story of a guy named John Baker, and, uh, and I'll look, here we go. I'm John Baker. I have the honor of serving at Saddleback Church as the pastor of Celebrate Recovery. So Saddleback Church is one of the most famous churches in the world because they have one of the most famous pastors in the world, a guy named Rick Warren. Okay? It's in Southern California. And this guy, John Baker, he serves as a pastor now, but he didn't before. And he leads a ministry that they started called Celebrate Recovery. I would like to share with you a brief history of how Celebrate Recovery got started. Um, I've served as the pastor of membership and the pastor of ministry at Saddleback for a while. Now that's what I do, and that's good stuff, but you know God is really more concerned with who I am rather than what I do. He's concerned about my character and my values, who I really am when there's no one else around. So allow me to reintroduce to you who I really am instead of what I do. Hi, I'm John. I'm a believer who struggles with alcoholism. That's what he puts it. 
Did you catch that? I'm a believer, but I have problems. Hmm? We, we put it in our church, we're sinners seeking sinners. Sinners need to meet Jesus at a meal with Jesus. That's what we think is our church. Um, I was raised in a Christian home in the small Midwestern town of Collinsville, Illinois, population 10,000. I had a normal childhood, whatever that is, right? My parents were members of a small Baptist church, and I asked Christ into my heart at age 13. In high school, I was the class president. I lettered in basketball, baseball, and track. So this guy's pretty, you know, he's kind of an all-around class president. He's athletic. I felt compelled into ministry at age 16, so I applied to several Christian universities. So the Lord even called this guy towards ministry at age 16, although that's not what he followed. Up to this point, everything sounds fine. In fact, it sounds almost boring. But you see, there was this problem. I had to be the best in everything I did. Because deep down inside, it never felt good enough for my parents, my teammates, my girlfriend, or anyone. Any of you feel that way? And maybe you're not quite good enough? I don't think he's the only person that ever feels that way. So if I wasn't good enough for them, how could I ever be good enough for to serve God? I must have missed the Sunday sermons on Jesus' unconditional love and freely given grace. I was a walking and talking paradox. A combination of the lowest possible self-esteem, which I try to cover up, with the world's largest ego. So next time you meet a person who's like brimming with like self-assertion, you might want to think, maybe they're covering something up. Believe me, that's not a very comfortable feeling inside. The best way I can describe this feeling of covering up my lack of self-esteem is a pain. A burning emptiness, a hole right in my soul. I wrestle with God's call and judge myself unworthy to enter the ministry. That's how he judged himself. That's how many, many of you may judge yourself. Unworthy to do much for God. After high school, I went to the University of Missouri. When I packed for my freshman year, I took my non-existent self-esteem with me. How would you like to pack that? Pack your notebook, computer, your clothes, and your non-existent self-esteem at age 18. I joined a fraternity and soon discovered the solution, or at least what I believe to be the solution for my life's hurts, alcohol. From the first drink, it worked. I fit in. For the first time in life, I felt like I belonged. It wasn't long, and I was majoring in business administration and minoring in partying. You guys know anybody like that? At my college, we had a little motto, study hard, party harder <laughs> and I had a lot of friends they got straight A's and Thursday nights got very they didn't even wait till Friday night <laughs> Thursday nights got annoying it's like oh somebody's going to puke in the hallway it's going to stink on Friday <laughs> that, was, that was my college I met my wife Cheryl at a fraternity football game and despite lots of warning signs she agreed to marry me in my senior year We didn't want to wait because the Vietnam War was in full swing and we knew that after college, I'd be called into the service. Little did Cheryl know what the next 19 years would have in store for her. After graduation, I joined the Air Force and was chosen to be a pilot. Tough guy. They only choose the best to be their pilots. 
I attended officer's training school. In 90 days, I learned to act like an officer and drink like a gentleman. Probably more than a gentleman. I continued to abuse alcohol and considered it as a cure for my pain. Certainly not a sin. That's actually good. In the service, I quickly found the use for 100% oxygen to cure my morning hangovers. You guys know what he's talking about? So, you know, like the, the pilots, they get to breathe 100% oxygen. You know, we're only breathing, I don't know what percent oxygen. Apparently, it's useful for hangovers. And, uh, I didn't know that. <laughs> okay. Um, the war ended. I was assigned to a reserve unit. After the service, I joined Scott Paper Company, got my MBA degree at night school. He's a hard charger. And God gave us our first child, a daughter, Laura. That's a pretty good name, right? Two years later, we were blessed with our son, Johnny. That name's okay, right? I'm going to brag here. On June 18th, 2004, our son, Johnny, his wife, Jenny, had our granddaughter, Maggie. It gets even better. On March 26, 2006, Chloe, our second granddaughter, was born. So he's got grandchildren. I was promoted eight times in the first 11 years of my business career. He's a really good widget. I was the vice president of sales and marketing for two very large consumer food manufacturers. I had reached all my life's career goals by the time I was 30. Man, aren't you kind of jealous? Some of you are older than 30 and you haven't reached all your career goals. By the way, if he's vice president of this and that, he's probably rich. I remember here the words of a song. So, 30 years old, wife, success, money, drinking a lot. Here's a song that he remembers. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? With all the business success came several relocations. Attending church became less and less important to me as my drinking increased. I was also becoming uncomfortable with my lifestyle, business practices, and priorities. I was making unhealthy choices that were hurting the people I loved. I had to face a major decision. You know, conviction is really uncomfortable. I had a choice here. Do it my way, drinking and living by the world's standards, or surrender and repent and do it God's way. I wish I could say that I saw the light and chose God's way, but the truth is, I chose my way. My drinking increased, and I turned my back completely on God. And then here he cites a verse. This is Proverbs 14, 12. And this, he likes to, this is in the, the Living Bible translation. This is how it says it. Before every man there lies a wide and pleasant road that seems right, but ends in death. The iPhone does wear down because it doesn't have life. I was on that road. I was known as a functioning alcoholic. I knew I had a problem, but I never lost a job, never got arrested for drunk driving. Up to this point, my secret was still safe. Cheryl was in denial, so I thought. In fact, she later told me she, could, she just couldn't think of me as an alcoholic until she noticed my new breakfast drink, beer. You ever see anybody drink beer for breakfast? They're dying. Please know they're dying, right? <clears throat> One evening, just because I refused to go out for pie with friends in anger, Cheryl asked me to go to counseling with her or leave. 
Much to her surprise, I left. And our 13-month separation began. What I had considered the solution for my life's problems, alcohol, became the problem of my life. This is a solution. (laughs) Now it is the problem. It's killing him. And finally, my drinking cost me all purpose and reason for living. I was dying physically, emotionally, mentally, and most importantly, spiritually. My life was out of control. On my own, I didn't have the power to stop drinking. I want you to hear that. On your own, you don't have the power to do a lot of things. On your own, this finger is going to die. This guy's a dying finger, you get it? Nobody. Nobody's edifying him. He's dying. It was an October morning. I was in Salt Lake City on a business trip. I woke up and I knew that I couldn't take another drink, but I also knew that I couldn't live without one. That's a crazy place to be in. I either do or do or die, but I'm going to die. I finally hit my bottom. I, went, I made it back to Orange County and made it to my first AA meeting. I started going to AA meetings daily. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I guess if you're a type A personality, you get type A by getting healed. <laughs> That's a good thing. That's hope some of you will become. Some of you type A's will get type A about edifying. <laughs> right? I didn't know it at the time, but I was at principle one where I was able to, and this is the, some of the principles that they, they teach at Celebrate Recovery. Realize I am not God. I admit that I am powerless to control my tendency to do the wrong thing and that my, my life is unmanageable. Now here's where it gets really interesting. Sharon and the kids had begun attending a church that met in a gym, a church called Saddleback. This is when Saddleback wasn't famous. I mean, they met in a gym. You ever worship in a gym? It kind of stinks, quite frankly. I have worshipped in a gym. It's really annoying. The acoustics are really loud. The place smells. But it doesn't matter. There's life in this place. One Saturday night, I was visiting the kids, and they asked me to go to church with them on Sunday morning. Much to their surprise, I said yes. Think about this. Kids are going to church. They're starting to grow in faith. Mom and dad have not been together for more than a year. As far as they know, it might be divorce. Dad, will you go to church with us? You know what's happening? Edifying is happening. His kids built him up. I hadn't been to church in five years. That Sunday morning, I heard the music and Pastor Rick Warren's message, and I knew I was home. That was when I knew I was ready for principle two. Earnestly believe that God exists, that I matter to Him, and that He has the power to help me recover. Cheryl and I began to earnest to work on our issues that had torn our marriage apart. And five months later, God opened our hearts and we renewed our marriage vows. This past October, we celebrate our 38th wedding anniversary. Praise God. I was also able to complete the third principle. Consciously choose to commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. Getting toward the end of the story here now. As a teenager, I committed my life to Christ, but I had never given all my will to Christ's care and control. 
At church, I joined a men's small group, and in my small group, I really couldn't find anyone there that could openly share my recovery from my sin addiction to alcohol. When I started to share about my struggles with alcohol, they just didn't want to go that deep. They would say, how about those Dodgers? When I went to AA meetings, I was mocked when I shared about my higher power, the one and only true higher power, Jesus Christ. Can you hear that? So he goes to his church small group, the place where he's brought back to the Lord, and yet when he wants to talk about his sins and his pain and how he has found hope, it just makes the other brothers uncomfortable. I want to just say something about our small group. That's not how we operate in our small groups. In our community groups, we're saying it's a sinner's dinner party. Show up with your hurts. That's exactly what we want to talk about. That is exactly where we want to talk because we believe Jesus has life for you. But this is is the crazy thing. He he goes to church and they're they're not willing to talk about this in small. But he goes to AA meetings where they helped him come out of alcoholism, but they don't want to find out the real source of life, Jesus. So then he gets an idea. This is interesting. It's incredible, right? I couldn't find a a safe place to share the victories and the freedom over my past sin that Christ was giving me. So in 1991, I wrote Pastor Rick Warren a short, concise, <laughs> concise, 13-page, single-space letter. That's what type A's personality things are, concise, all right? A 13-page, single-space letter outlining the vision God gave me, a vision for Celebrate Recovery, a recovery program that was Christ-centered and based on the Bible, I knew I couldn't be the only one in our church, a church the size of Saddleback that was, that was also with, with, filled with a hurt, a hang-up, or an addictive habit. I knew there had to be other people out there. Well, Pastor Rick read the letter, called me into his office. His response was, Great, John, you do it. I was amazed that God would use someone like me to start a ministry and I'm still amazed today. I actually heard other, other versions of the story. His answer was, no way, I can't do that. You're the pastor. I'm just, I'm just a regular person. He said, no, God has called you to do it. You're the one who sees the hurt. You're the one that could inject the life. You're the one called to edify. You see it? Now, this is a particularly very spectacular example. Um, since then, this is 16 years ago, actually, I think he, it's even more than that now. He says, over 10,000 people at Saddleback have completed the program, found victory from their hurts, hang-ups, and habits through Christ's power. We have been able to start the program in over 10,000 churches and over 500,000 courageous individuals have completed the program. And by the way, he says, this vision is a safe place not only for alcoholics to find support, but a place for codependents, people with eating disorders, those struggling with sexual addiction, anger, those dealing with past or current physical or sexual abuse, those in need of financial recovery, and many more groups. That's what this spawned. Now look, this is a really spectacular example. And you, you, may, you may not be a John Baker quite like him, but he didn't know he was John Baker until John Baker became John Baker. <laughs> and some of you, you may find some way 
to edify. And you'll inject life. And here's how you inject life. You encourage. You support. You pour out a little bit of Jesus in you. That's all you need to do. Then the Holy Spirit will work. And maybe you'll do this for three or four or five people. And those four or five people will do it for two or three people. And one of those people will be another John Baker. And then this crazy branch shoots out with incredible fruit that nobody can control. Rick Warren has actually said that this ministry has brought more people to salvation from his church than any other ministry in his church, including his own preaching. How's that? And if, a, if something that some of you guys start, and it doesn't have to be a full-on ministry, it could, how about just a little encouragement? Huh? Something that you do, it goes somewhere. It starts feeding. Seeds start coming out. See, when you seeds start coming out, <laughs> life starts coming out. <laughs> Places you can't even predict. Places maybe you don't even want. <laughs> this body will live. And God, you'll see beautiful, incredible things from God through Jesus as he pours out his spirit. That's out of five. Let's pray. Lord, we're so, gosh, we're such a mechanical people. Just show it. We don't even know how to think that there's something in the ground. If you ask me if there's anything alive in the backyard in winter, I would say no. It's just because I can't see it with my eyes. A few months later, there's life coming out. And Lord, your church is like this. And we pray that you would breathe new life into this church. Jesus be seen. And we thank you, Jesus, upon a sinful people that you would pour out your spirit. And you would take this people, Lord, a sinful people, like fingers that are dying, lungs that are barely breathing. And you would take all the members of this church and we would drink in of your spirit because of Jesus. From Jesus, in Jesus, all for you, Lord Jesus, because we want to see your life happen. We want to see your fruit of your spirit come forth out of this church and we believe you that you will do a work, Lord. That you're doing something in this church, a beautiful thing in this church and we pray that in the weeks ahead edifying would happen. That you will raise up a people that will gladly build up and we'll see life, real life come out where there was death. Thank you. Thank you that you're this kind of God. Glorify your name. To this church, it's your church called New Hope. In the great name of Jesus we pray. Amen.